0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to thirty-six percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort. With thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a one-dollar a month trial period at Shopify.com/arsblog. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/arsblog now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/arsblog.
1: Buscando el liberato en la Premier, la tiene Odegaard.
0: A la derecha para Bucayo Saca, levanta la cabeza, busca centro segundo palo. ¡Qué maravilla! ¡Gol, gol, 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 gol! ¡Es el gol del
1: líder! ¡Es el gol de Arsenal en el centro de Bucayo Saca! Aparece Kai Kaver, segundo palo. forcero Arsenal 1! Y es la zurda de Bucayo Saca. Kai Kai la zurda de Bucayo saca Kai color segundo palo Kai 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 la zurda de Bucayo saca saca Kai saca Kai saca Kai This is ArseCast Extra.
0: Hello and welcome to another ArseCast Extra as always. With James from Gunner Blog. James, a very goodly top of the table morning to you.
1: Oh, top of the table indeed. Goodly morning, Andrew. How are you today?
0: I'm good. This being top of the table thing is quite good when you're, you know, crap and boring and stuff, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest and say it's slightly snuck up on me, us being top of the table. I, I knew we were doing all right. And I knew we were near the top, but on Friday, I don't think I was thinking. Well, by Monday, we'll be top of the league. It's um, going to be
0: amazing. Wait till we get to May, and then like we'll be sitting here one morning and go, "Hey, yeah, we're cha- we're, we're champions. We're champions. How did that happen?
1: God forbid, will happen if we start playing well. well yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, but it's very very welcome. It was a good weekend all told, really, for Arsenal,
0: mate. It really
1: was. (laughs) Yeah, unlucky, mate, you know. Oh, mate, mate.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was. You know, apart from obviously United winning yesterday, but, you know, that's the man of our hands. keep Eric
1: in the job. That's what I say. Yeah. Uh, Let them continue uh, picking up these scrappy little wins. They're not going anywhere under him anytime soon. So I can relax about that. Chelsea getting battered. I mean, again, I'd prefer it to be against another team, but we'll take it.
0: Mm. Uh, And yeah, mate. What can you say? What can you say? And then, of course, a 1-1 between Liverpool and Man City was useful for us as well, you know, mm-hmm. given the uh, given the stature and the quality of those two teams. Didn't look like it was going to end that way, but uh, uh, it was nice for Liverpool to get the goal in the end. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so all in all, a, a pretty good weekend. And, of course, that game... Um, earlier in the day, the 1230 game sort of set it up for us to be top of the league. The draw meant that if we beat Brentford, we could go top of the table. And that's sort of, you know, it's a little bit of extra pressure, isn't it? You know, when you're going into an away game away from home, most away games are actually away from home. I don't know if you know that, but uh, mm, I just realized that could be that one of a- the problems could be um but uh, after the interlude is what i was trying to say there uh, <laughs> you know that, that there are a sort of cocktail of elements that sometimes go your way and in the past we have been known to struggle a little bit with with games like this so it was all there for us uh, saturday evening at brentford and you know in the end we got there but there's plenty to unpack from this one isn't there
1: yeah a lot. And it, and I think it would have been a very different tone of discussion had it not been for Kai Havertz's late intervention. Um, you know, certainly my sense watching the game and, and sort of observing what people were saying online was, I think there was a fair bit of frustration around during the actual mm. 90 minutes. Um, obviously, all's well that ends well. Uh, and we did get that goal and we did go top. But yeah, a, a lot to break down, I think.
0: Yeah. So where do we start? Because... I mean, team selection, I think it's very interesting to look at it with a bit of hindsight, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, before the game, I was expecting Brentford to be a bit more if not open a bit more at home a bit more the home side if that makes sense that their strategy even if they do have a couple of injuries you know to play with this low block to deny arsenal space i mean i guess it makes sense but it wasn't really what i was expecting from brentford you know given the way some of the games have gone there and of course that game that we played when when you know all the sky guys did the dancing and all the rest of it you know first of game of the season a few years ago whatever it was you know, that kind of atmosphere. I thought they might lean into that a little bit more and perhaps be a bit more front-footed. But I I think when you look at the lineup with Gabriel Jesus starting, having played 90 minutes during the week for Brazil, having not played for a month before that because of injury, Saka, Martinelli, Martin Odegaard back in the team, and Leandro Trossard as the the left eight. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense to me that that was kind of what Mikel Arteta was expecting from Brentford, because what you've got are very technical players, players who can, who can play in tight spaces, who are going to face you know a low uh, sitting defense, and who have the tools and the craft and the the movement to try and unlock that. So, how much do you think his um, what he thought he was going to get from Brentford fed into his team selection?
1: I think it may well have done. I also wonder if a factor, you know, obviously Jorginho didn't play. I was just looking and he, he did start both Italy's games during the international break, played 60 minutes and then 70 minutes. I wonder if potentially that weighed in Arteta's thoughts as mm. well, you know, throwing him straight back into the Premier League games. Obviously, he's one of the older players in the team and maybe not the most natural athlete in the group. Um, I I liked the eleven. I didn't expect Gabriel Jesus to play after he'd come back Me neither, from Brazil. Yeah. Uh, I thought he'd start on the bench, but I liked it in quite a sort of childlike, uh, naive, All oh, these are lots of players who I like watching and we've crammed them into the same team way. I, I <laughs> didn't know <laughs> if it would actually work, if that makes any sense. And I was a little bit...
0: Mm,
1: let's say I raised an eyebrow at starting Trossard in midfield against a team like Brentford who who can be very physical and, you know, where set pieces, I think, are always a consideration. Mm. Um, But yeah, clearly Arteta thought, you know, we're going to have to try and unlock this defence and, you know, he picked the players to do that. You make a good point about expecting a bit more from Brentford. I just think we have to straight away give Arsenal a lot of credit. On that front, I think even without Ivan Tony, this is a Brentford team who have given lots of Premier League teams problems this season. You no. know, uh, and Burmo have been dangerous and threatening and scored goals and created chances. And, you know, with the exception of obviously some notable errors, which no doubt we'll talk about in due course, I thought another big theme from this game was just how secure and solid the foundations of this Arsenal team seem to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the, the control is the sort of buzzword of the season, isn't it? And, Mm -hmm. and the discussion I think will revolve quite heavily when games are like this, where there's a a fine margin that, you know, you can come out either side of because it's, it reminded me a bit of the Newcastle game. Right. in, In terms of how much we had control, uh, where the game was being played i think it was a bit more one sided in this game i think we were we were dominant you know in terms of territory in terms of possession i didn't even look at the stats for this one um just just to sort of back that up but i know what my eye saw certainly in this game that we were we were very much uh, on top but but when the margins are tight you're going to have this discussion about control versus cutting edge and being able to uh, translate some of that control or possession or domination of territory into into more chances and things like that. He he was asked about it afterwards, wasn't he? Uh, and he talked about um, players being missing, you know, Odegaard's been missing slash, you know, not at his best so far this season. Jesus in and out of the team, left eight. I mean, is that maybe the second time that Trossard has started there perhaps? Um, it's
1: that. It's not been often.
0: Yeah, it, it hasn't been often, you know. So um, th- there are things about the team selections, the team lineups, I think, that play a part in, in how we've attacked or not attacked mm-hmm. or the perception, let's say, that we're not attacking in the same way that we did last season. And also, I think the approach of the other teams, I think the opposition, the way opposition teams are approaching games is – part of the context if you want to have that big wide discussion about why more chances aren't being made because ultimately it is just more difficult when you're playing against a team who have got 11 men behind the ball most of the time
1: yeah I, it's interesting you cite the newcastle game for comparison because I, I can see what you mean essentially they're quite low event games yes <laughs> you know yeah, yeah there's not a lot of goal math action i watched the first half of um, Tottenham's game against Villa Mm. at the weekend. And I don't know if it continued like this in the second, but it was really end-to-end basketball style, helter-skelter stuff. It was classic Unai Emery in some respects. We all remember those days of, you know, 30 shots on our goal and, you know, us probably having 20, 25 at the other end and just being Mm. quite chaotic. And... You know, I think Mikel Arteta's has really sought to reduce that. I think, you know, I think I've used the phrase before, the elimination of jeopardy. I honestly think that that is, you know, a big part of what he's done with the team this season. Um, of course, when you have those low event games, there is that risk. They can be decided by a freak moment be mm. that an officiating error like we saw at St James's Park or be it a goalkeeping error like we very nearly saw at Brentford um but i think the the discussion about our attack is probably going to rumble on for a while yet um, this was our fifth 1-0 win of the season in all competitions 1-0 to the arsenal we're bringing that back i think you're right to say it's about the opposition i think we're facing a lot of deeper defences we haven't had the same continuity in our starting That, If you look back to this time last season, same team, same team, same team, same team. Mm. And always with Gabriel Jesus leading the line, which hasn't been the case. Um, but yeah, uh, teams are presenting us with problems and we're finding it hard going to find solutions. Harder going, maybe. And I suppose this is where it becomes relevant. We seem to find it harder going than either Liverpool or Man City do currently to break these teams down.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true to an extent, but I did have a look at the, you know, City have scored five goals more than Arsenal so far Mm -hmm. this season, and I think they've had one or two really big, big wins, haven't they? Liverpool have only scored one more goal than Arsenal. Mm. Liverpool have only conceded one more goal than Arsenal which is quite interesting because of the... I think actually we might have had a question about that. I'm sorry. um, We did. We did. I I think
1: I've got it actually because it was a very interesting question. It was from Marcus Lucy or Lucci, Apology, Marcus. And he said, Goodly morning, gents. Is it crazy that we all say Arsenal, great defence, need improvement in attack? Liverpool, great attack, need improvement in defence. But they've only conceded one more goal than us Mm. and we've only scored one goal less than them. Is our attack better than we think?
0: I mean, I don't think our attack is quite as problematic as people think. Like, you know, you watch a game like this and it's frustrating because you've got so much of the ball. You've got so much territory. You're going, we've got to do something with this. You've got to make the most of that. And I understand it. Um, But, you know, we're top of the table and we've only scored one goal less than Liverpool, who people would perceive as a sort of more free-flowing attacking team, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, I don't um, mean to say that there aren't things that we can do better. I think there definitely are. I think we are facing some challenges, for example, uh, with our wingers, where they're being doubled up on all the time, as Bakayo Saka spoke about after the game. But what that means is is the potential for somebody else to have a bit more space. So it's about maybe moving the ball quicker. It's maybe finding those players in that space when Martinelli has it and two defenders are on him, when Saka has it, two defenders are on him. Is there more we can do in that context rather than, you know, those guys being sort of dead-ended or, or you know, run down a cul-de-sac, whatever it might be? You know, I think there are things certainly that we can do better, but we had nine shots in the first half. Against Brentford, albeit only two of them on target. So, you know there 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 are things that we can do better. But I also think it's not quite as bad as as some people are making out. And I think perhaps you know last season is being looked at sometimes through a kind of um, what's the word? Rose tinted glasses in a way. Yeah, Because there was an element of unexpected fun about all this, about what happened, you know? And I think we are just a different beast this season, but I also think that the context of our season is also different. Like, we're not the unexpected thing anymore. We are a team that when, you know, opposition managers decide how they're going to play against Arsenal, very, very few of them, even a team as good as Brentford are going to say, well, you know what? We will play our own game. We're going to try and attack you. And I think a, a part of that is because when you look at Arsenal now, and I think they talked about this a little bit on on TV after the game, Gabriel, William Saliba, Declan Rice, that perception of our defensive strength must surely play a part in how the opposition managers approach games and their own particular game plans when it comes to Arsenal. So sitting off playing a bit deeper, um, not committing or over-committing against a very, very serious defence seems to be the way they're going.
1: Yeah, I I think that's definitely a factor. I think it's a really interesting point about Liverpool. I think uh, if you look at the underlying metrics, the story is slightly different. You know, there is greater disparity there in both attack and defence um you know liverpool their xg is five goals ahead of arsenal and that's from open that's including penalties rather i think from open play the disparity is even greater now goals from set pieces don't count for any less so perhaps why should we worry mm. um but our creation from open play you know is 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 a way off theirs and similarly defensively they their expected goals against is substantially worse than the actual number of goals they've conceded, it probably doesn't hurt that they've got the best goalkeeper pretty much in the league in well, Allison. <laughs> yeah. Um Well, it, although he didn't have his best game the no. other day, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's... I, I think it's interesting. I think you make a good point. I think it is partly a romanticising of last season, but I also I think probably the bigger change is the way opposition are setting up against us now. I think we were a surprise package to ourselves last season, but crucially, we were also a surprise package to the rest of the Premier League. And I think in the second half of the season, we noticed and experienced teams being much more conservative in the way they faced us. And that has carried over into this year. Um, So, you know, it's a problem we continue to try and solve, but Credit where it's due. We did find a solution at
0: Brentford. We did. in the end. We did. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. But look, the biggest opportunity in the first half fell Brentford's way after a mistake from Aaron Ramsdale. Where yeah. a short corner or a short uh, kickoff routine, he sort of got caught in two minds, stumbled, slipped, and the ball went to Brentford. I think without Declan Rice in this team, we're 1-0 down. And I don't just mean Declan Rice is the guy who made that intervention on the line. Like I think with any other player in the number six position, whether that be Jorginho or Thomas Partey, I think we're 1-0 down. I think there's something about Rice's defensive instincts that are perhaps maybe more attuned to things like this from his time at West Ham, where he's just so switched on immediately. He sees what happens and races back to the line. It is an amazing piece of, of defending from Declan Rice.
1: Yeah. He shows great awareness, intuition, speed as well to get back in yeah. position at the right time and make that intervention. It's truly goal saving. Uh, it might be the difference between Arsenal getting three points and none Mm -hmm. in this game and yeah you can just file it alongside uh, all the other great things he's done since he joined Arsenal all the other great things he did in the course of this 90 minutes Mm. Uh, but a a massive moment obviously a terrible moment for Aaron Ramsdale he's good mates with Declan Rice well they must be better mates now because he bailed him out big time
0: big time Um, I mean how do you (sighs) How do you try and unpack the Ramsdale thing? Because it's sort of impossible to do it without the context of what's going on at Arsenal with his position having been replaced, usurped, whatever the word might be, by David Raya. I mean, the. I want to save the question about Arteta's reaction to it all for, for part two, but mm. the camera cut to him on the sidelines and, you know, Uh, His face told a a story. I mean, is that just something that happens to goalkeepers? Can we separate that from what's going on with him where perhaps, you know, in terms of his own confidence, in terms of, you know, how he's feeling without playing for a while, without the rhythm, you know, that you're used to as a goalkeeper, that those things might've been a contributory factor. But as you say, uh, Allison had a couple of moments, didn't he, against uh, Man City at the weekend, like a scuff kick, which ultimately led to the Man City goal. I so thought he was
1: quite lucky on it, on a VAR replay as well. Yes, actually.
0: I think he was. Um, you know, let's also acknowledge the fact that David Raya has made mistakes. You know, the Man City game where he got caught on the ball, the Chelsea game where he passed it straight to, I think it was Cole Palmer. You know, there have been moments when Raya has done that as well, mm-hmm. but, When it comes to Ramsdale, because of what's been going on, it feels particularly acute or something.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to know if that's just the weight of narrative or something that's actually Mm. affecting his performance. Uh, Yeah, it was quite like the Cole Palmer one in some respects. I do think that in general, and I think I've said this after – Riot errors too. I think as a fan base, we probably could do with sort of being a bit more accepting of goalkeeper errors with the ball at their feet. Like when you watch Edison and Allison, who are ostensibly, you know, the top ones in this league, I I honestly feel like every game that I watch them there's one really dodgy moment and the team either get away with it or they don't. And I feel like Liverpool fans and City fans <laughs> maybe are more accustomed to it or maybe more accepting or maybe because they don't have this ongoing debate about who should be the number one, Mm-mm. it's less focused on. Yes. Um, I think that we have to accept that it comes with the territory to an extent. You know, We don't expect a midfielder to complete all their short and medium length passes. And similarly, a goalkeeper's probably not going to as well. Um, that said, it is a bad one. And when you add it to the throw into the ground, which I have to say was pretty unique. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. I, enjoy,
0: I enjoyed before. this from uh, on the Discord from McGodlike. Uh, do you think Ramsdale has created a new bounce pass, just like Ozil with his finish? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean... <laughs> I was only half watching it at the time and I sort of I sort of assumed he'd chucked it straight at the attacker because of the you way know, I turned mm. my head and then suddenly it was back in play. I was like, what's going on there? I think it's difficult to avoid the conclusion that the current situation is playing on his mind. And you've got and it wouldn't be a surprise if it was, because I think it's easy to say, you know, come in and impress against Brentford, but I suspect he may feel like he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing uh, and that almost whatever he does, Mm. he's going to be out the team again on Wednesday. Add in the fact he's thinking, well, maybe I've been replaced because my distribution from the back's not good enough. Does that lend a level of anxiety to him in those scenarios? Brentford did work very hard on pressing him too. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I, I felt like we saw a player who... Looked low on confidence yeah, uh, and looked like he'd come in pretty cold, which he has.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to his credit, there was a moment, wasn't there, maybe just a couple of minutes later where he played a good ball straight through the midfield. I think it was into Martinelli.
1: Yeah, that um, was his next pass. I yeah. Yeah. Mean- you know, it, it settles him, I think
0: a little know? bit, yeah, for sure, and I think in general, his second half was was fine, you know, but this like you say, the weight of narrative or whatever you want to call it is sort of all around him and all around the goalkeeping situation at R. So I think your point about Edison and Allison is is really good, but like you say, there isn't you know uh, another very good goalkeeper who is about to come in and take their place if they make a mistake. You know it's they not are the, the same undi- situation they're the at all. undisputed number ones at their club for obvious reasons because it's you know impossible to get a goalkeeper anywhere near as good to play second fiddle, which is you know why we have the context of what's going on um, with Ryan Ramsdale.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also it's I think it's a weird thing. It's hard for a keeper, isn't it, to come in and think I want to have a stormer. Like for a goalkeeper to have a stormer, yeah, they probably teams- need to be making saves, right? Yeah. yeah. Something needs to be going wrong for that to happen.
0: You need the rest of your teammates to be absolute garbage on the night (laughs) and you're saving the day, which, of course, is not what anyone wants either.
1: Yeah, and so I reckon for Ramsdale, this was probably the worst of both worlds because his opportunity to impress was with the ball and obviously he made an error that was very much highlighted and nearly cost the team dearly. And in another respect, he barely had a save to make. So I don't think it was a performance that helped him particularly in his current situation. And yeah, I suppose there's a question of how much we might see it between, I don't know, now and the onset of the FA Cup in January.
0: We will see. Um, Arsenal did have the ball in the back of the net just before Mm. the break. I was thinking, there we go. Leandro Trossard, nice, brave near post header again. Should Gabriel Jesus score that header? I know there was a lot of talk about how he should head it down, etc., etc., but... I don't know.
1: It reminded me of um, his goal at that end last season. Shaka had the clip pass that day, mm. and Jesus went for the t- far top corner. I mean, they look lovely when they go in the far top corner, but maybe it was more prudent to head the ball down. Um, but Jesus, you know, what did he say the other day? <laughs> the goals are not my strength, or something like that. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it was a decent enough header. I thought it was quite poor goalkeeping. Um, just to sort of chuck it up in the air. And Trossard, the poacher, mm. brave as he has been of late. Ironically enough, I sort of watched that and thought, there we go, that's that's what we want Kai Havertz to be doing, you know, following yeah, the in, yeah. in the box, getting after stuff. Uh, but he would have his moment. What did you make of the VAR decision?
0: I mean, when I'm, I'm looking at it back here in real time, and it never occurred to me for a second that Trossard would be offside.
1: Oh, really? Um, see, I thought he looked off in real time. Well, you
0: see, the, where they when they do the the replay of it, they they pause it momentarily. It's a great ball in from Bakayo Saka, by the way. We'll talk yeah. about him in a, in a bit. But they pause it and you're like, okay, like he looks behind the ball and that's what he needs to be is behind the ball, not behind Gabriel Jesus, you know? Um, of course, when the lines are drawn from the particular angle that they show it, you know, he looks ahead of the ball or is ahead of the ball according to the lines. Um, I know people will have their, uh, what's their what's the word, doubts perhaps, but I suppose offside is offside. Um, and he does look from the angle that they chose to draw the VAR lines, he does look ahead of the ball. So... It's yeah. offside.
1: Um, uh, yeah, I was pretty confident it would be ruled out, which was frustrating because it was, you know, nice time yeah. to score before half time and hadn't created a great deal. Came off a nice quick throw in that as well, mm. um, which, you know, sometimes you've got to do to mix up the shape. But uh, lo and behold, we went into halftime at
0: nil-nil. Nil-nil, no changes at the break. Um, I mean, like you say, the like the Newcastle game was sort of, a low event kind of game Mm. where what we were trying to do obviously was put crosses in. I think there were moments in this game. If you want to talk about how we attack, if you want to talk about what we're producing, I do think there were maybe two or three crosses in this game that we did not attack the way that we should have. Mm. There was one to the, back posts that maybe Saka could have gambled on. There was another one from the other side or a couple of one from Martinelli, maybe two from Martinelli that I think maybe the sort of the flight of the ball and the ball in is so good that we should do more with the quality of the, the ball that we put in, you know, but of course you're, you're playing against the team that's, that's sitting really deep. Um, and it did feel like, you know, I didn't make this, um, observation in the in the live blog, like if crosses and set pieces are the way that we're going to try and open up Brentford or create attempts on goal, because we weren't creating anything centrally, nothing was happening through the middle, right? Because of three center halves and two fullbacks or two wingbacks, and then a packed central midfield, it was very difficult to do, to do anything centrally. So crosses made sense in that regard. It did feel like, well, we've got a guy who's six foot four on the bench. Yeah we should probably get him on. Before that, there was a chance for Eddie and Keddie, wasn't there? Where he took a, took a shot on goal where I think probably, I mean, there might have been a pass on. I think it was a more difficult pass than it looks. But I think if you're going to take that finish on, you've really got to put your foot through it.
1: Yes, I. that was my thought as well I think it's sort of one of those situations where it's quite easy to pause it and be like well look you should simply play that pass <laughs> I think it's 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 more the case that it was a bad shot you know I agree I, I think it's more a bad shot than it is a bad choice mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with the center forward in that position taking it on but you want the execution to be better
0: I think so I think that's right uh, I'm just trying to look at it again does it really matter I don't know um, I mean, ultimately- but I
1: felt the collective sigh of the Arsenal fan base at that moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you're looking for him to do is put his foot through it, like he did with that third goal against Sheffield United. Yeah, I know what he was trying to do. I guess he was trying to pass it into the into the bottom corner, right? Um, mm-hmm. That kind of a finish, but I'm not sure that was really on. Um, you need a bit more. You need a bit more um, oomph or power in your in your attempt. Um so Havertz did come on then. But it before we come to his moment, there was another goal line clearance um where I think it was Zinchenko gave the ball away.
1: <laughs> it was. Yeah.
0: And to be fair to him, he got back in and made a very, very good uh, clearance off the line from from Mope. And I think Mope kind of fluffs the rebound from that a bit as as well when we talk about fine margins imagine sitting here today trying to rationalize or come to terms with a 1-0 defeat because we gave the ball away and allowed Neil Mopate to score it doesn't but that's those are the fine margins
1: yeah Well, that's what I always say about Zinchenko. He's bad on the ball, but excellent at the defensive side.
0: You do Um, always say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good clearance. I I actually hadn't realised it was him who'd given it away. I was still marvelling at something he'd done, maybe this was the moment he gave it away, where he sort of headed the ball onto his own foot to try and bring it under control a few seconds beforehand.
0: A a kind of chesty, yeah, chesty LaRue, whatever you want to
1: call it. it. It was kind of crazy, but anyway... When he made the clearance, I thought, "Why is he not celebrating that? Like, why is he just? Oh, he's playing it very cool." And then it was pointed out to me that he's been the guy yes, who gave the ball away. So he was. He was just achieving a little bit of uh, redemption there, um, and yeah, forever grateful for Neil Mopé fluffing the rebound. Mm. But you know, we talked, we spoke about the attack. I think there was, I think I'm right in saying that the commentary team on TNT said there'd been no shot for Arsenal between half time and. 72nd minute. So, and I think we were finding it hard going. Maybe there was more we could do to kind of crash the box and things like that. Mm. Obviously that was what Kai Havertz was brought on to do.
0: Um Do you think we could do more from outside the box in games like this? Because there was, I think Saliba had a shot that went did. not far wide. Declan Rice had a shot from outside the box. There was also a moment where I think it was Zinchenko played the ball just across the box. It was being set up for Tommy Asu, who was about to wind up and have a shot from from just outside the box. And it took a slight deflection. I don't know if it hit a defender, but he had to change feet and, you know, couldn't get any power in the shot. Mm. But I do wonder, what 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 do you think of the idea that when we do face these low blocks, I know sort of firing one in from 30 yards is... You know, it's a low XG kind of um, attempt and managers sure. want their teams to, to be more, um, you know, move the ball around, move the opposition around, things like that. But perhaps there might be just – do you remember remember when we played Spurs in the North London Derby last season at I was just home thinking of that. Yeah. And they did exactly what Brentford did. They just sat deep. They allowed us to have the ball. And what we did was, and I think they talked about this afterwards, um, you know, about how it was a, a training ground, if not routine, but something that they'd spoken about on the training ground. The ball comes to Thomas Partey. Partey curls it into the top corner. Now, it's not easy to curl it in the top corner all the time, but I do wonder if that might be something we could try and do a bit more of to provide a bit of attacking variance.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure one of the players or Arteta spoke about that afterwards and said, you know, we we worked on it. You know, we Mm. worked on creating those openings on the edge of the box. Um, You don't only have to find the top corner. Sometimes you have a shot and the goalkeeper parries it out and your number nine Mm. tucks away the rebound. Or sometimes you hit it, it takes a massive deflection. Look at Gabriel Martinelli against Manchester City. Hits someone's face and ends up in the net. Um, You know, if you don't buy a ticket, Mm -hmm. you'll never know. So I think we could do better at that. Uh, it was hard against Brentford and they really packed their own third and packed central areas. But yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And, you know, Thomas Partey's not shy of a shot. Um, yeah, I mean, Maybe that's one of the facets of his gameplay. I don't think it's the only one by any stretch, but maybe it's one that we might just be missing a little bit at the present point.
0: In time. Maybe so. So look, Havertz came on. I thought he got involved well, straight away. I thought he was, you know, quite lively, won some headers, gave us a bit more presence um, in the opposition half and certainly in the opposition box. Um, like I said, there was a chance for, not a chance, but a shot from Saliba. Um, what else? I mean, look, it was it was difficult because Brentford are good. You know, they're a good team. I think their trio of central defenders made 24 clearances in total throughout this, uh, this game. Ethan Pinnock, okay made 10 or 12 of them all on his own. He's a fucking, he loves a header. He He's loves a 12, defensive yeah. header, that guy.
1: Yeah, he um, is. He's sort of old school, I think. Uh, yeah. Bit of a throwback, but very effective.
0: Yeah. So it was tough going. It was tough going. Um, I think the the thing about teams doubling up on the wingers is is a really interesting one. And there are ways, as we talked about earlier, that... You know, we're going to have to try and cope with that, and Sack and Martinelli will have to try and cope with that. But it also requires 100% concentration 100% of the time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think on this occasion, it wasn't quite that from Brentford. Maybe the relentlessness of Arsenal's um, territorial domination and what we were trying to do just, you know, found some heavy legs at the right time. I mean, Saka doesn't have a huge amount of room, but he probably had more room for this one than any other time he had the ball on on that side. He had five key passes in this game, by the way. Five key yeah. passes on a night where, you know, would you say that was him anywhere near his best? Nope. But still produces five key passes. Well, which and is,
1: produces and, two moments that see Arsenal have the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit of physical fatigue, maybe a bit of mental fatigue. They're not out to him quick enough. And it's another one of those clipped... You almost would hesitate to call it a cross, really. It's just more of like a chip pass to that back post. It's quite narrow, the angle, Mm. ultimately. Um, It's a great ball. Not unlike... Was it his ball for Leo Trossard at Stamford Bridge? You know, a similar kind of trajectory.
0: Yeah, very true, yeah.
1: Uh, And this time... That 6'4 man off the bench, who was Kai Havertz and not Karl uh for the <laughs> right reasons, I think, ultimately, uh, is there and heads it down, and it's in the back of the net.
0: What a moment. What, what a, a moment for him. You know, he had that penalty, of course, but, you know, that was, that was a very different thing, and it was, you know...
1: <sighs> he knew that as well. Yeah, Look at the yeah. celebration. You know, it's a very different context and a very different goal.
0: And you know that is the kind of goal when you thought about Kai Havertz signing for Arsenal, and I think we saw a little bit of it in pre-season actually. If I remember the Barcelona game at the SoFi Stadium, he scored a goal in a similar position. I don't it think it was the same the kind of page, goal, yeah. It? yeah. But that kind of that kind of position that he can take up, you know, you would have envisaged him being a bit more effective in in that area of the pitch, a bit more. Um, a bit more often. But look, it's been a while coming. It's fair to say. But when we needed him to step up, when there was a big moment for him to step up, he's absolutely done it. And, you know, I hope that this, you know, far more than the the penalty goal, that this is a moment where, you know, he can s- start to build a bit more confidence, a bit more belief. And, you know, for fans as well, the idea that, Okay, this is a guy who might be able to do something for us. From from, I mean, from a purely end product point of view, because I think that's what's been missing. Obviously, Arteta talked about it before the game. He was asked maybe last week or I can't remember, but you know, he's saying, "Yeah, we need more from him. We need more um, end product from Kai Havertz. That's why we brought him into the club." And you know, I I think his overall play has been fine, but he hasn't been scoring and he hasn't really been. Creating or making assists. So, this is a great moment for him, overdue if you want to say that, but a big, big moment. And I was delighted that he got the goal. I really was because, you know, like I said, and you've said, and I'm sure we're not alone in saying that, that, you know, if he finds his mojo or some of his mojo, the beneficiary ultimately is Arsenal, and we can, you know, come away from a game like this with three points rather than one.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I was really happy for him. Mikel Arteta was obviously made up about it as well and made a big fuss of him. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the away fans were in full voice singing his song at the end of the game. This has got to give him a little bit of a lift. And, you know, I, I, I think in this game, he really was the plan B in some respects. Yeah. He was that classic big man off the bench to help us find the breakthrough. But as As we've said many times, we're facing these deep defences from early on in games, and there's no good reason really that he can't help us unlock matches earlier uh, in in this kind of fashion. He's got the ability, he's got the right physique for it. So let's all hope Mm. this is kind of the true start of his Arsenal career.
0: I hope so. I hope so. And look, you know, those are three points that put us top of the table. The final few minutes played out fairly uneventfully as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they brought on, they brought on Jorginho and Ben White just to add, take up some time and add some defensive solidity. We dealt with whatever Brentford, you know, then had to try and produce in the last couple of minutes because I'm pretty sure Brentford were like, well, we're happy enough with a point here. You know, shame we didn't get more from that chance in the first half, but, you know, points are all right. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult then to change your your mindset to sort of all of a sudden say, oh shit, we've got to be completely front footed here. It's difficult to, to sort of jump on that with three or four minutes of added time to go.
1: Especially against a team who are as defensively good as Arsenal. You know, I I really think that I I, I don't, I don't want it to come across as, you know, when we, I mean, I know, I know you think maybe the attack's been better than it's given credit for, but if I'm saying uh, being a little bit critical of the play going forward, I'm not trying to bash the team. I think, you know, we we do look outstanding, I think, largely from a defensive perspective. Mm. Really, really excellent. I'm not sure there's any better in the league right now uh, in terms of, like, how we protect our goal. Um, so, yeah, like, it, that makes it very, very hard for Brentford.
0: So, yeah, three points, big win, another late win as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that particular string in our bow is one that gets played often. And we've made this, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? When you think of, made the point before perhaps, where when teams are aware that that's what you can do and can do on a fairly regular basis, you know, not that it, self-defeating, what's the opposite of self-defeating?
1: Self-fulfilling, I guess. Yes,
0: that's the one, thank you.
1: It's it, There is a bit of that to it. Um, And another big contribution from a player off the bench. You know, we've seen Mm -hmm. a few of those of late and uh, it's obviously really encouraging to to continue to do that. And yeah, I think Mikel Arteta was really happy. I think he knew that this was a big step for the team to take, not just to win this game, but to go top Mm. at this point. You know, we're about to be in December. We'll be in December by the next round of Premier League fixtures. Yeah. And we're top of the league. I think that's some going, especially given this is a Man City who I think most people agree have been more stable in the first half of the campaign than they were 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. And a Liverpool who are markedly better than they were last season. For us to still be the pick of the bunch and sit right at the top uh, is some going.
0: Especially when I think we've got room for improvement.
1: Yeah, well, that's the most encouraging aspect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know people's mileage will vary on this. You know, have we been as good as we can be or are we as fluent in attack as we should be? But to be where we are in in spite of that, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but, you know, to know that you can do more, to know that there are improvements you can make in your attacking play, which I don't think necessarily have to come at the expense of our defensive solidity either. You know, that's the other thing. It's not like, okay, we'll trade ten percent defensive for ten percent more attack. I don't think it works like that. I think we can be as defensively solid with the players that we've got if we can keep that consistency of selection um, you know, in those key positions. I think there's more we can do in attack as well. So I think that is very encouraging. You know, I'm I'm pretty glass half full on that, to be honest, where I think there's there's more to come from this team.
1: Yeah. And also, uh, some some next couple of games in the league, Wolves at home, looting away. You know, I, I take nothing for granted, but they're games I would expect Arsenal to win. Sure. Uh, it gets a bit tougher after that. You know, we've got the likes of Brighton, Villa, Liverpool before Christmas, but... We're in a very good position right now. And uh, yeah, I, I thought this was any, listen, any win at Brentford is a really good win. It is a hard place to go. And we know that more than most having mm. lost on their first Premier League game. Um, so I was delighted with the three points.
0: For sure. Me too. All right. Well, look, why don't we take a little break here? We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at arsblog, but also on the Arsblog Discord chat server which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. I'm going to go first if that's all right. You and may. We have a, you know, a few questions around this particular subject. We talked about Aaron Ramsdale in the first half of the show, but there were some questions about um the manager, um Burton Gunner says what do you make of Mikel Arteta seemingly or being seemingly unwilling to praise Ramsdale specifically in his post-match comments? Seem very pointed, surely an indication that all is not well behind the scenes. And there was another one from PRS Books, uh, Topley. Uh, Topley of the table morning to you both. Great to see the love for the players from Ramsdale at the end. But does that potentially speak to an issue within the camp with the manager and Raya on one side, the team on the other? I thought the last few matches Raya seemed a bit isolated from his defense. It was quite stark to see them uh, being so visibly Team Ramsdale in this one. And just in terms of of what he said, in his Mm -hmm. post-match interview... On TNT Sport, he was asked about Aaron Ramsdale. He said, what What did you make of Aaron Ramsdale? Had a bit of a, a mistake, but seemed to come through. And he said, I'm so happy with the team, with the way he performed. We got the clean sheet. I'm so happy the way everybody played. And uh, on Ramsdale being a bit nervous, he said, I think the team was exceptional today. So he didn't want to talk about Aaron Ramsdale being nervous. He did talk about his courage a bit in the... Um, post uh, post game press conference he talked about having big courage and it was a bit more expansive on Ramsdale in the press conference, but we were having a little chat on whatsapp about this you know after the game. It did feel something when he made those comments on TV
1: yeah i, I it was unusual because I think that the default for a manager in those situations listen I don't think anyone is expecting him to come out and say Aaron Ramsdale was exceptional today. Mm. What a performance I've got a real conundrum on my hands now <laughs> uh, I think I think what you know for a player who's sort of lacking in confidence for me the the straightforward move for the manager is just to say something a sort of fairly generic platitude like yeah he had a tricky start but he's come in and contributed to the team today um and hopefully you know that'll be a boost for him or something like that yeah. you know it's as easy as that. It can be, and managers spend most of their lives giving these sort of textbook copy and paste answers. And I spend most of my life trying to get them to say something different. <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe, so maybe I shouldn't, you know, complain when somebody does go off piece. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. There's sort of two conclusions to draw. One is that he he is just sick to the back teeth of speaking about his goalkeepers. I think that is one possibility. The other possibility is there's something very wrong in the relationship between Arteta and Aaron Ramsdale.
0: A little from column A, a little from column B, perhaps?
1: Yeah, perhaps so. I mean, I thought it was interesting watching his press conference. I wasn't there on Saturday, but even the comments he made about Ramsdale, well, he it was because he was asked the question basically twice. I think the first time he was mm. asked it, he gave the same answer as he did on TNT and then someone offered another question about Ramsdale and Arsenal sort of said, well, look, we want to move the conversation on. We feel like we've answered it. I think clearly he's really tired of talking about it and I think Arteta probably feels that there's, I don't know if he's confused or or frustrated, but I think he probably feels like Aaron attracts more discussion when he's dropped than certain other players.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I understand if he's tired talking about it. I, I completely get it, but yeah. this is a situation that he manufactured. Sure, you know, I think he can't look beyond that, and he might think, well, I'm just making a uh, you know footballing decision, the one that I think is right for the team, uh, and that's playing David Raya or David Raya um, every week, unless I can't. And then I'll play Aaron Ramsdale. I don't really want to talk about it after that, but that you know hides the fact that he brought about this situation by bringing in David Raya when you know he had Aaron Ramsdale and um, signed a new contract back in May mm. and all the rest of it. And nobody was expecting Arsenal to sign a goalkeeper. I'm sure, least of all Aaron Ramsdale. Um, mm. I I don't know anything, but my gut feeling. Based on what he said, how he said it, leads me to believe that there's something to what your second point there, that something is sort of broken in the relationship between Mikel Arteta and, and Aaron Ramsdale. Because, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's difficult to marry his reaction and his comments, let's say, about Kai Havertz at times which I get are kind of arm around the shoulder, like literally after this game, it was arm around the shoulder, arm around the neck as he dragged him over to be serenaded by the away fans, you know, in part because he probably wanted to say, look, this is why I signed this guy. He's won us three points. Also, he probably wanted him to feel some of the love from the fans, which I get as well. It's important. But the sort of difference between that emotional um, approach to building up the confidence of Kai Havertz and the cold, almost ruthless way he didn't answer questions about Aaron Ramsdale. They're two very, very different things.
1: Yeah, And I I thought that was really marked, wasn't it, in the post-game scenes. And and, and within that interview, you know, he really waxed lyrical about Kai Havertz as a, a player and a person. And I, the cameras actually caught Arteta's post-game uh, embrace with Ramsdale, and it was a it was very different to the one he gave Kai Havertz.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it probably would be anyway because yeah,
1: he didn't have a great know, game. He didn't have a great wrong.
0: game, and one of them scored the winning goal. So we 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 know that. But you know, Arteta's talked all the time about togetherness and everybody being on the boat and all the rest of it, and. I think what we've come to learn about Mikel Arteta is that when when it goes the other way, for whatever reason, it is really, really difficult to come back from it. And it can often be quite abrupt with no full understanding of quite what's happened, right? Happened with Ozil, Mm -hmm. happened with Aubameyang. I'm not saying it's quite the same with Ramsdale, but it wouldn't be... um, it's not sort of out of character in a way that when he goes cold on you, it's very difficult to to work your way back in.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think he's got a switch, Arteta. Really, mm. you know, and I think he can be utterly ruthless when he has to be. I mean, we should say this is the first game back since the whole thing with Roundsdale's dad going on a uh, a rival podcast. <laughs> we didn't get the exclusive. We're furious. Um, and I don't know of a falling out from that. I don't know of Arteta's feeling about it, but I could imagine um, that it didn't go down well. So you know, maybe that is a factor in all this. Um, but I think, yeah, when you're when you're on the boat, you're on the boat, and when you're off, you're overboard. Yeah, you're walking the
0: fucking plank, basically.
1: Yeah, and and I think probably Aaron Ramsdale feels like other some of those other players you've mentioned previously, a bit cut adrift, a bit confused, Mm. a bit blindsided. But Arteta's vision is paramount and absolute to him. And, you know, he has made his choice on David Raya. You know, if David Raya had made that mistake, I mean, he's made similar mistakes. Arteta would have spoken about him very, very differently.
0: I think he would have, yeah. And, And, you know, look, he might prefer, I think he does prefer David Raya. He sees him now as his number one, and that's the goalkeeper he wants to go with. At the same time, though, I don't think it's. um, He might need Ramsdale. David Ryan. There's a real
1: chance, you know, it doesn't take a lot.
0: No, I mean, Ryan could get a suspension, he could get, you know, uh, an injury, and all of a sudden, you've got to work with a guy who you may not like anymore, or because of what you've said or not said in public the relationship between you and him, I'm not suggesting it would have any impact on Ramsdale's professionalism or dedication to the job or anything like that. But like, isn't it really incumbent on you as a manager, even if, even if this is not what you're feeling necessarily on the inside to ensure that any player who you could potentially have to call on mid game mid-season for who knows how long if there's an injury, is in the best possible frame of mind to play their best football. And I think I can understand if he was frustrated with Ramsdale's mistake. I get it. But I also think he could have said one or two lines which would have meant me and you and everybody else and all the other Arsenal podcasters in the world and everybody who's a fan would not be having this discussion today. we just say... Fairfox wasn't a great game for Ramsdale, but you know, he's done his best to uh, bolster him up and, you know, manager protecting his players and all the rest of it.
1: That that's the bit that's odd. Like I understand if he doesn't want to talk about it anymore, but I think that what he said or failed to say was kind of more noteworthy, more newsworthy than, as I suggested, just sort of generic vanilla response to the question. Um, And I think as well, we spoke about the the disparity in the reaction between how Arteta responded to to Havertz and to Ramsdale. Um, I think the other reason that what Arteta said or didn't say stood out was because it was so different from the way the players reacted to Ramsdale.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was so relieved at the end, wasn't he, Ramsdale? He sort of fell on the ball. There was a puffing out of his cheeks. And, you know, you could see that the players were delighted they won the game. Not just for themselves, but but for him, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Shades they-
1: of Bern Leno went there at Aston Villa mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> a, a couple of seasons ago. But I think it was very clear in that, that he remains a very popular figure in the dressing room. Yes. Uh, if not on the dugout. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, do I think that will cause there was One of the questions was like, do I think that will cause any problems or a rift? Not really. I think footballers are quite straightforward generally if you're winning football matches people don't mind if you stop winning them then mm. these things can become a bit corrosive but as long as you're winning you're generally okay but yeah it's a it's a it's a shame really it's a sad one
0: yeah I feel for Ramsdale I really uh, yeah do.
1: it's a tough one for him and, and I, th- I I wonder if Mikel Arteta is reaching the conclusion which I think many people suspected from the off that we will not see the best of either David Raya or Aaron Ramsdale while the other one is at the club
0: quite possible quite possible but I don't you know, think it
1: helps either of them to be honest with you
0: I don't think it does I don't think it does but also you know we're in a we're in a big season we're in the middle of a big season we're top of the table you know this is yeah, a yeah. this is another season where we could be in for you know a title challenge all the way to the end and I think you do want the strongest possible squad I think You know, talk about Ramsdale leaving in January. I've seen lots of stories or lots of people talking about that. You know, should he go? Ultimately, I think he will go because if he's not playing, he's not going to be happy and he will want to go. And, you know, nobody could begrudge him um, wanting to play on a regular basis. But, you know, you leave yourself with a kind of gap in the squad there, you know? Mm -hmm. And
1: and you know there's at least one league game, probably, that whoever you bring in would have to play. Yeah. Um, Unless you find 27 million quid down the back of the sofa. I mean, that's the other way of looking at it. Is Arteta of the mind that selling Aaron Ramsdale is the best way to pay for David Raya? Very possibly. Mm. Mm. So we shall see. We shall. We shall see. But yeah, I mean, you know, Aaron probably would have hoped to have a game where he thought, I'll put myself in contention, maybe get a Champions League game here or there. You know, the way Arteta, the way he played and the way Arteta responded to it, mm. uh, I think even though there are a lot of games between now and January, I think he'll do well to get many or any of
0: them. Yeah. I hope he gets at least one Champions League game. To be If honest. we
1: qualify in the yeah. next game, then you'd have to think he's got a chance for the final game of the group. But hope we so. shall
0: see. Hope so. I think it's your question.
1: It's my question. Um, ba, ba, ba. Okay. What about this? It's a bit of a outside Arsenal question, but I'm interested in your perspective. L away <laughs> says, Good morning, gents. How seriously do we have to be taking Don Unai and his villains this season? They're making a bit too much noise for my liking.
0: I mean, they are going well. There's no two ways about it. I saw the second half of this game, which wasn't quite as chaotic and um, full of mayhem as as the first half. Um, Phil Costa was texting me about the first half, going, Oh, Jesus. Uh, (laughs) Aston Villa have gone uh, full Unai here. Um, I mean, just look at where they are. Look at their results. We're going there, not next weekend, the weekend after. We're going to Villa Park. Big game. Sadly, look at their form at home. It's really, really good, really impressive. Um, you know, they're they are they're going very well. Uh, I think we had another question. I mean, uh, Jamie B says, well, how do you feel about his success at Villa? Mm. I mean, I don't begrudge him any success anywhere, to be honest. I, you know, my feeling was he was the wrong man at the wrong time for Arsenal. Um, he's shown, I think, throughout his career that he is capable of... Um, you know good stuff with with teams and teams maybe in this sort of villa category if that makes sense you know like sevilla like um valencia uh, in the past uh, where you know Real, another one you know where are they going to be title contenders in their respective leagues no but can they you know have their moments and win things and win the europa league um yeah I think he's doing well. I mean, it might well have improved him, to be honest, to go through something like that. Whatever, you know, we felt we went through with Emery, he probably felt like he went through some shit himself, you know? Um, But, you know, he's been to Villarreal in the meantime, did well there, then got sacked. So there's a a sort of trajectory, isn't there, Um, with the way uh, his career goes at clubs where it seems to go quite well at first, um, I think it's probably going better at Villa than anybody had expected, but can he sustain it? Don't know, but it's going to be very, very difficult when we go there in a couple of weeks time. Very difficult.
1: Yeah. I, th- I saw a table doing the rounds. I don't know if it takes in the entirety of Emery's reign, but it was the last 25 league games and Arsenal and Villa are neck and neck on points mm. in, over that period. Only Man City, Have performed better than either of those teams over the last 25 matches in the Premier League, Um, and particularly at Villa Park, they have just been Mm. pretty unstoppable. And they came pretty close to giving us uh, to to beating us last season, less we yeah 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 within minutes. Um, And I'm sure Emery will have his team pretty fired up for that one. I think it will be a really hard, really really hard fixture and another big test. In terms of the long term, I don't see them, you know, continuing to keep pace. It's quite congested at the top of the table, isn't it? Between Mm. Spurs and Arsenal uh, in fifth and first. That's quite enjoyable now, given the way the table looked in the early weeks. (laughs) Um, But there are just four points, you know, it's pretty tight. But I don't see Villa lasting the pace. I do think that top three will be the top three in some iteration.
0: Mm, I agree. And the thing about Villa next week is that they're not going to play a low block against us. So it'll be a different kind of challenge, you know? Yeah, that's true. A challenge I mean, that's goals for fun. So yeah.
1: they will come out and play um, lots of little subplots there. You know, Emmy Martinez always carries his baggage into pretty much every football match he plays, it seems to me. Um, mm. Douglas Luiz being linked with Arsenal. Um, uh, I think perhaps probably quite unrealistically, given how well he's doing at Villa in his contract situation. Sure, Ollie Watkins, boyhood yeah. Arsenal fan, I believe the, the narratives all, will, uh, will write themselves.
0: He will have enjoyed that goal yesterday. That's for sure. Yes. If he's a boyhood Arsenal fan. Um, what about this one? I thought it was interesting. Um, Tola on the Discord. Did you see here the ridiculous question a journalist asked Thomas Frank about Arsenal being too emotional and celebrating like they'd won the World Cup? Who is that man? I would like to uh, I'd like to know so I can add him to my list of uh, football-related figures I despise, which includes people like Mike Dean and Neil Mope. Huge credit to Thomas Frank for his excellent response. I'll just play this because I thought it was quite an interesting clip, you know? Yeah, I've it, not heard it. Go on. Right. So this is in the post-game interview and this is um, a guy asking a question of Thomas Frank.
1: Perhaps an accusation, they're a little too emotional. Do you see that as something that you can...
0: Arsenal as a club yeah.
1: or... It's not just a team, you know, it's on the sideline and whenever they score a goal, it seems like they've they won the World Cup kind of thing. <laughs> is, it, is it kind
0: of... Is that something what? you can exploit? Yeah, not but, I'm, no, yeah, but I'm, I'm a little bit... It, it's, it's classic, isn't it? Then then there's some uh, coaches or players that are not celebrating when they're scoring a goal. What is that? You're doing the most difficult thing in football. You're scoring a goal. You should celebrate. And if you score a last-minute winner against any team, and we know how difficult it is to win in Premier League, you should celebrate. I, I
1: believe of that. I like that. Hmm. Thomas Frank seems like a good guy. He does, do doesn't think. he? Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I wasn't there at the press conference, as I say, so I'm uh, not sure... Who asked that question?
0: Is I that an that, example of like a reporter trying to, you know, create some back page headlines? You know, by Frank criticises Arteta for celebrating too much. Blah yeah, blah blah.
1: I think so, and I think it's a little bit cowardly to ask Thomas Frank if you didn't ask Mikel Arteta. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if you think Arsenal over celebrated, ask the Arsenal manager. To go sort of, and then ask the opposition manager to have a little dig while everyone's backs turned. Mm. I'm not sure about that, and I re- I think it's sort of ludicrous in this case. I mean, there's a last minute winner, a player who's really low on confidence, not been having a good time of it. Big boost. Of course, they're going to celebrate that. I it just that. seems absurd, doesn't it?
0: It really does. It really does. And you know, I didn't even notice if the Arsenal bench were uh, celebrating too much because you know we didn't get to see that too much on the television. Actually, I'm looking at it here again. Um, They're just standing in a huddle. He's there with his coaching staff. I'm sure he did celebrate when the goal went in, but it's not like he's running up and down the um, touchline. He's not done the Mourinho knee slide. He hasn't done a Deserby running on the pitch (laughs) and all the rest of it.
1: No, but listen, like, good luck to Deserby. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do we want? What do we want? A handshake, you know, just head off down the tunnel. What is this? Yeah, it's entertainment. I so I, I, I'm all for celebrations. For whoever it is, you know, I'll, I'll never take the piss out of a team for celebrating. I think it's completely ridiculous.
0: Except for a Tottenham.
1: Of course Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. it what goes to it against to Sheffield South. United when they lined up and did the big clap in front of their stand, <laughs> that was mental. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, they just had a fairly normal celebration on the sideline. And it just seems like uh, lowest common denominator uh seeking clickbait nonsense
1: yeah do you, and do you know what's a bit silly i think i think the question of are arsenal too emotional i think that's had some validity at points in the last 12 months you know particularly during the run-in last year but then to sort of undercut it by saying you know they celebrate a goal i like guess they've won the world cup that just shows your agenda yeah, yeah, really yeah. I, think. I think so um what about this you mentioned Neil mope Mary had a little Ramsdale on the discord said a very goodly morning gents which current players do you consider to be so bad that you can't believe they are playing for Premier League teams? May I offer for consideration the name Neil mopey
0: I mean that's a good one yeah that is a good one
1: um i I while you're just having a think there's a few players at Everton that I have that thought about. I have to say, I struggle to understand or b- believe that Ashley Young Correct. is still playing fullback for a Premier League team in the year 2023. Yes. Uh, he fair. is, yes, 38 years old. And yesterday, I didn't see the game, but he was brought off while on a booking. Presumably he was having a nightmare trying to stop mm. uh, I I'm staggered by that one.
0: Me too. I know this might sound typically petty, but you know when you're when you're trying to win a game of football and you bring on Oliver Skip, I have to ask questions about what the fuck is going on. Like sure, what the clue is-
1: about what to do with young Oliver is in his name. <laughs>
0: He's he stands out for me because I just I don't understand what it is. I mean clearly to be at this level, to come through the academies, to get your first team opportunities. There's got to be something. There's got to be something, but I'm not seeing it. (laughs) I just don't see it. Um, He's one that stands out to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, the league has really come on leaps and bounds. There aren't a lot of bad players in the Premier League, but Mm. there are one or two that raise an eyebrow. Neil Mopé, yeah, I would say clinging to his Premier League status at this point in time.
0: What about this one? A bit speculative, of course, um, but there have been some uh, stories over the weekend, links to Aussie men and what that means for the future of Gabriel Jesus, the realisticness of that guy.
1: I mean, look, he's he's one of the top centre forwards in world football. You know, there aren't many in that bracket. And I think, you know, immediately you think, well, would we have a chance of having a run at someone like him? But then, United have bought their centre forward. Hoyland, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ireland, you know, they've got theirs. City have got theirs. Liverpool have got two or three. Mm hmm. Uh, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea might
0: be. Uh, Chelsea might be looking around. Chelsea
1: desperately need one. Desperately need someone to put the ball in the net. Um, Ivan Tony, maybe? Ivan Tony, yeah, perhaps. But Ivan Tony, listen, Ivan Tony's a good player. He's. I don't think he's at the Osimhen level. And Osimhen is 20, Four. 24. 24, mm-hmm. okay. 24. So he's entering the period of his career where he can really make a serious impact. I think Arsenal signed a bunch of 24-year-olds this summer, didn't they? In um, Declan Rice, Shireen Timber, mm-hmm. Kai Havertz. That's the age they're looking to recruit at. So... I think it's plausible. I think we'd have to sort of, uh, you know, count our pennies a little bit to get there. Maybe Mm. it would mean not going big in January, for example.
0: Um, Yeah, to, to do it in the summer.
1: To do it in the summer. But it would be an incredibly exciting signing. And as for what it would mean for Gabriel Jesus, I think Gabriel Jesus would still play a lot of football. A lot of football, maybe slightly less of it through the middle, but I'm not convinced that would hurt the team a great deal, to be honest.
0: No, I mean, if you're talking about not having the requisite cover for Bakayo Saka.
1: Or indeed Gabriel Martinelli.
0: Yeah. you know, You yeah, can you play can Jesus, play I think, sides.
1: very comfortably on either flank and give those guys rest, mean you'd have more impactful players off the bench. Mm. Uh, wouldn't worry about that in the least uh so or we go full joe linton and turn him into a box to box midfield There's <laughs> <laughs> always that option um yeah, yeah I, listen RC men would be about as exciting a signing as it's possible to make right now
0: mm. i think well let's see
1: let's, let's see. see um okay it's a referee question. I don't do many of these, but you'll see why I asked it. It's from Rob Hack on Discord. The referee on Saturday was Tim Robinson, who hasn't been around too long in the Premier League. The only time I noticed him was when Arsenal took a while over a couple of corners, and then rather, be rash and, rather than be rash and dish out a booking, he sensibly talked to our captain about it. The rest of his performance was perfectly fine. His first Premier League game was the win over Sheffield United, in which he was also perfectly unremarkable. Is it a case of Tim Robinson? I think you should
0: stay. (laughs) We're all trying to find the guy who did this.
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, we're all quick to jump on referees' backs, but I think he makes a good point, Rob, on on that question.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, if people aren't aware, Tim Robinson is a comedian who's got a TV show called I Think You Should Leave, which is on Netflix. It is very funny. It's probably a bit Marmite, to be honest. Mm. It's one of those that if you don't, like it you're never going to like it
1: you'll know after one episode yeah. if you should persist yeah exactly
0: say. exactly i actually thought that was good refereeing and we've spoken a lot about refereeing um over the last few weeks for very obvious reasons and we actually had an associated question maybe about how long it was taking us to yeah take corners i'm well, sorry I, can't I mean find we,
1: you know we did take our time.
0: We did, but it was obviously deliberate. We, you know, we've seen it maybe in a couple of games before, mm-hmm. where they take their time, make a run, the you know decoy runs, and it pulls the opposition defence out of position, and then we, you know, take up different positions to try and uh, you know be effective from set pieces, which I think we've done. the 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 first one, the Saka one. I was like, oh, he's going to get booked. Because <laughs> yeah, he took yeah. so long. And then there was another one from the other side. I think it was Trossard who was taking it. But I I like the way he just called over Martin Odegaard and said, look, you're taking too long. Tell your players or next guy's getting booked, I presume. That's what the conversation was. Um. So, yeah, I think he should stay for the moment. Far be it for us to blow the smoke up ours as a referees or anything like that. But, you know. Um, it's We've nice be to see Andrew. It We've is nice to see a little bit of common sense applied from time to time. So
1: absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting with the corners. It's almost like they're waiting for the, the first phase of jostling to settle, um, and then sort of trying again. Uh, we we did have a question from Oliver Wells about a few very quick or intentional throw-ins behind the Brentford defence. Do I think this was pre-planned. I imagine it was, to be honest. Yeah. You know, as much as you might want to take your time on a corner throw-in, I can imagine they're looking at as an opportunity to exploit uh, moments where the defence isn't entirely settled, isn't entirely in position, and we very nearly got a goal from one.
0: Yeah. A couple of questions about Leandro Trossard, actually. Um, Mm. Jack Cole, who's at Jack Cole 96 says, as more and more teams defend in a deep deep block against us, do you see Trossard getting more minutes in the left eight and making that position his own? And uh, Jeff tnusa who's in the discord said goodly morning gents given that trossard's preseason performances uh, with added caveats at left eight were almost certainly the best we've seen from a an attacking slash non-declan rice player why do you think it's taken this long to see it in the premier league um and what did you make of him in that position and do you think that that might be an option for if not every game certain games
1: Listen, I thought he was fine. I, I wouldn't say I thought he was brilliant, but I liked some of the runs he made into attacking areas and he you know, scored a goal, be it one that was disallowed. Um, there were one or two moments where I saw him come off worse in 50-50s in the midfield. Uh, but I think that's going to happen sometimes. You sort of take that risk and you know that if you've mm. got a guy like Declan Rice, maybe rather than a guy like Jorginho in behind he could probably go and clear up that mess anyway. I mean, I'm not sure we've spoken quite enough about just how good Declan Rice was in this
0: match. Um, can we, do we just keep repeating ourselves? Do, can we just like yeah. make up a, I'll get a little hotkey button, which just says Declan sure. Rice was good. Eh?
1: Yeah. Put it next to the bye bye button, I guess. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think we might see more of him. I mean, look at our next two league games, Wolves at home, looting away. Mm. I think we've got some idea what we might be facing. Um, Why we've not seen it until now? Well, I mean, one reason is we've needed him in other areas of the pitch. You know, we had Martinelli absent for a period. We've had Jesus absent for a period. He's been playing up front or or out wide. Mm. As soon as Jesus is back in the team, you know, it's almost like Arteta thought, well, I can't drop Trossard. He's not done anything to to deserve being out. Mm. Difficult to justify selecting any of the others ahead of him in midfield. So I think it's... Yeah, I I would like to see him again there at the weekend, would you?
0: I wouldn't be against it at all, to be honest. There's a chance we'll see Havertz, to be honest with you. Yeah, maybe. Um, Maybe, you know, Havertz has that plan B option might be something Arteta leans into a bit over the next little while, though, as well, you know, Uh, because he does definitely give you something different in terms of physical presence and all the rest of it. Um, I mean, Trossard and left eight was, you know, he was grand I thought he was fine um pass accuracy is not brilliant but I think that's down to maybe how many corners he took as well that crosses He'd seven crosses in the game more crosses than any other player uh Saka and Martinelli with six by the way each um so yeah I mean I think it's it's an option um like I don't think he was stand out so good you say well that's his position from now on but But it's certainly something Arteta, you know, when he thinks about games against teams where it has to be played, as he continually says, in tight spaces. I think his technical ability in in packed areas is really good. Um, Oh,
1: and if we're talking about, you know, taking a little bit more on from the edge of the box, you know, I'd fancy him over many of the others to take a shot on from He
0: actually had one, um, didn't he? He had one in this game and fluffed his lines a little bit as well, so... Uh, so we'll see we'll see
1: Uh, I've got another officiating question I've really changed uh, my tune here it's from P Moyles on Discord morning guys I've got a question about VAR and offsides when an offside goal is extremely tight like on Saturday or even Garnacho against us at the Emirates there is no way the attacker can tell if he's offside or not players have a split second to time their run and could be off by a centimetre hmm If all the clubs agreed to allow a margin for error for all offsides, do you think that would work better? Or are you happy with the current iteration where offside is offside regardless of how close it is? It feels like an attacker should be given some leeway in my opinion. Thanks.
0: I mean, I think our attackers should be given (laughs) lots of leeway and none of the others. Mm. That's my basic feeling on it. I mean, it's just one of those where... If you say there should be a little bit of leeway, how much leeway? 1.7 centimetres of leeway. <gasps> Did you see 1. the diagram
1: 6? doing the rounds the other day of Arsene Wenger's proposal?
0: Yes. I looked at it. It made my head hurt, and I closed my computer down for a while. I, I,
1: like, for those who haven't seen it, as far as I can tell, his proposal is essentially that if any part of the attacker's body is in line with the defender then he would give that onside. Um, mm. I have to say that in principle, I, I really agree with what P. Moyles is saying. I mean, in a situation like the Trossard one, there is no real rational advantage gained.
0: No, no. You know? That's true. I mean, that is true. And, you know, the, would the game be better if there were more goals? Probably. You know, there's no good reason, is there, to, you know from a sporting perspective, there's no good reason to rule out the Trossard goal. It's offside as the rules stand. But like, like you said, it's it's not like he's hatching, you know, uh, behind the defenders. um, Standing offside. When it's
1: that tight, neither the defenders nor the attackers can possibly truly know. Mm. And I I think that, yes, of course, there's like an infinitesimally small advantage, perhaps in the centimetre. Yeah, I I think maybe a bit more favour should be granted to attackers in those scenarios, Um, particularly our attackers, Mm. like you say. And whether it is something like this Wenger proposal, which I have to say I can't see being voted through, but you never know, or some sort of margin for error, you know, like rather than a line, it's like a a bar, and if you're within the bar, you're okay. I think that would be better for the game, personally.
0: (sighs) Yeah, I don't know that it will stop any arguments, though. I don't think it will. You know, when it comes to offsides and things like that, it'll still be just.
1: I mean, as you know, if you're one centimeter beyond the player or beyond the line, you'll still be, you still get cases where players are one centimeter beyond. Well, that's what I mean. Bar, like, well, the, what the difference does for that
0: one centimeter make? You know.
1: Yeah, where yeah, is
0: yeah. where is the bar? Where is the line? How thick? But at is, least the visual
1: yeah. would be a player standing a yard in front of a defender. They forgot know?
0: to draw the bars, James. They drew the <laughs> bars in the wrong place.
1: <laughs> I know, and yeah, okay. I, in principle, I agree with I, the point being I, made. I, in I'm practice, I see the issues.
0: All right, and um, very quickly, final one comes from Standard Human, who's at Standard Human 34. He says, goodly morning, guys. Are you aware that Adrian Clark claims that let's do this is actually Mikel Arteta's catchphrase? Could Gunner blog comment on this stunning revelation? Does he intend to take action to defend his intellectual property? Bearing Tell in it to the that, judge,
1: course- Adrian. <laughs>
0: You don't want to fall out with Mikel Arteta here, James, because once you're gone, you're gone.
1: That's true. I I, I must have fallen out with Mikel Arteta sometime, like, as a child, because his manner with me <laughs> in press conferences has never been especially warm. Um,
0: maybe he thinks you're someone why. else.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe my shiny head just reminds him of... I thought it would endear me, Tim. You know, he loves pet, but no. I haven't heard that from Adrian. We need more information, guys.
0: Well, you you know, he's your podcast colleague at The Athletic and stuff like that. So you, you might have to sit down and have a yeah chat with him. Take it to HR, you know, this True. guy.
1: True. Don't well, want to tell tales. All I'd say is, uh, even if Adrian thinks Mikhail came up with it, I, at the end of the day, I've got the paperwork, guys.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the tattoo. Um, <coughs> let's not talk about that. Um, all right. <laughs> we had better leave it there uh, for this particular episode. Thank you, as always, for being with us. Join us on Patreon a bit later this afternoon. Plenty of Premier League action to discuss in a new episode of The 30, which we will have for you late afternoon. Patreon.com forward slash blog for that. For now, uh, take it easy. We've got Champions League. Oh, we'll have a preview pocket It's a podcast-filled week over on Patreon. That's all i got to say. Uh, we will talk to you Um, later in the week for now take it easy and we'll catch you on the next one bye bye Declan Rice was good